I'm going to be speaking on the subject of I am the light of the world. Uh, if you're a visitor, we're just going through some of the I ams that are in the Bible. Uh, I did the I am the bread of, of life last time. This is I am the light of the world. So if you've got a Bible, could you please turn to John chapter 8 and keep your finger in John chapter 1. John chapter 8 and John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 8 and uh, 1 verse, verse 12 Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me uh, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then back to John uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 5. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, uh, sorry, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, As the feast uh, ends and uh, people are going around extinguishing uh, the lights. Jesus suddenly speaks into darkness and proclaims himself to be the light of the world. Now, uh, that would be a claim of cosmic significance uh, because he's not just saying, I'm the light to you guys, Israel. He's saying, I am the light of the world. So in the darkness, that would have come just a little bit of a shock. But if you look back into the Old Testament, uh, the subject of light is quite a rich symbol. God said, uh, let there be light. Just clicked his fingers. So you can see the imagery of that. Suddenly, dot, let there be light. Uh, The pillar uh, or cloud and fire uh, by which God led his people through the desert must have been an awesome sight to see. They were being led by light. And uh, that would have frightened a few, if not me. The psalmist uh, taught, the Lord is my light. And Isaiah said that the servant of the Lord would be a light to the Gentiles and would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah also said that God himself would be the people's light. The theme continues. Job talks about rebelling against the light. You can rebel against it. Proverbs said that light is a path uh, to righteousness and the glory of the Lord is depicted as light. So it's, it's shot throughout the Old Testament. Commentators say this, that light is a symbol of truth, of new life, of goodness and blessing. And John introduces us to the light in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He sort of introduces something that Jesus will say later. So what is the point of uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5? Well, I want to begin this morning with those verses. And I think that the best way that I can do this and probably uh, help to make it the clearest is by doing it in reverse order. Uh, sort of like, you know, the bottom going up. 
Here's what I see. Verse 5, John uh, says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations say, have not understood it. Don't particularly like that, uh, but I prefer overcome it. Uh, But in one other place, John uses this Greek word. It's in John 12, 35, in which he says, Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overcomes you. So while the light is here, darkness will not overcome it. But when, when the light goes, and the people of the light goes, then there will be this darkness. And this is what I would call the invincibility of the light, which is what I want to look at this morning. It's where I want to take you. I want to take you to see the invincibility of the light. It is not ever overcome. So you could label verse 5, which is this is your, your, your moment, Phil, to think of a song that light is triumphant over darkness. So your, your end song is the triumph thing, okay? Triumph theme. That's not herald, but light, okay? It's nothing to do with the triumph herald, okay? So why does darkness not overcome the light? How can we be sure that light will go on? How can we, be, how can we think, well, I'm not sure that this is going to work for me in this situation? Well, that's what one to four are all about, And that's what one to four are all written to answer. They give three reasons why the light will triumph over darkness. So let's focus for the moment on the conflict uh, of light and dark. And then we'll look at the reasons. And then we'll go to the triumph. Herald. Okay. So here we go. Light triumphs over darkness. When John says in verse 5 that the light triumphs in the darkness, he means that the word has become flesh. Jesus has come into a dark world and is the light to that world. John 8 verse 12, the one that we read, I am the light of the world. In John 9, John, sorry, John chapter 1 verses 9 to 11, it says the true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home and his people received him not. So the light that we're going to be looking at this morning is not sort of like this light switch thing. It is Jesus. He's the one that's spoken of. And he is the only one that can shine in the darkness. It's him that we put our attention on. It's him that makes darkness change. That's the way that it looks. Now, darkness is the world of evil and unbelief. It's the world of death. It's the world of judgment. This is the world that Jesus invades. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment. The light has come to the world. The people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So darkness is the power of evil and unbelief. And there's a clash that goes on. So this will make a tremendous difference to you and I, believe it or not. So what verse uh, 5 is saying is that Jesus, the light of the world, has entered into the darkness, the evil, the unbelief, the lostness, the death, and the darkness has not overcome him. 
Now, that does make this tremendous difference to you because in John chapter 12, verse 46, it says, I have come into the world... I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That is both in regard to your salvation and in the way that you think in regard to this world. I'm not going, I've, I've been plucked out of darkness and I'm not going to be uh, affected by this darkness any longer. So Christians, we've passed from darkness to light, John chapter 12, verse 36 says, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. So when you believed, not only did you leave darkness, you entered the light, but actually you joined the family of the light. That's what you joined. You became sons of the light. You became sons of Jesus. You became children of the light. Paul says this, once you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk, therefore, as children of light. That is a very important statement. You are in the light, now walk as it, walk that way. You're not in the darkness, you're in the light, now walk. Walk that way. Now that means that we will change our thinking, which is what I want to come on to in regard to darkness. In a second, the light will triumph, which means that Jesus will triumph, and all those who believe in him, the children of the light, will triumph. We will triumph because we are followers of the light. The light triumphs in the darkness. We are sons of the light. We will triumph. This is not vitriolic preaching by the way this is not sort of you know the prosperity side this is biblical stuff the reason that we need to know that is that the the way that this affects us is in our mind in regard to all sorts of different things because you will hear today in the UK that darkness is gaining ground this is what the church sometimes preaches. And they will say, it is gaining ground on numerous fronts. It's almost as if the church is becoming smaller and smaller and like this remnant thing that eventually Jesus will return and take back. No, that's not what is being said here. It actually said, no, Jesus will triumph. We will triumph because we are sons of the light. So the question is, darkness seems to be taking ground. Let me just read you where this affects us. Uh, When I was preparing this on Wednesday, I just went onto the BBC website. They've got some headlines and I just nicked them. So uh, I haven't made these up. I just take them off the BBC website. But this is how it affects us as Christians. I'd like you to also know that I would like to add on to this that on Wednesday night, we lost a 19-year-old girl. It just seems that darkness is triumphing over light. Here's some of the ones that are on the BBC website. Up to six shots are fired at police today as they come under attack in the Ardine area on a third night of violence in Belfast. Second one. Detectives are today hunting a brutal boyfriend who allegedly slashed Uh, open his former partner's face and stabbed her in her legs before casually walking away. 
the heroic officer shot in the face at close range by gunman Moat yesterday told how he had to play dead through his agony in order to save his own life. The British commander of a patrol base was yesterday executed as he slept in his bed by a renegade Afghan soldier. A father is being held by police after allegedly throwing his baby daughter into the path of a moving car. You think, wow. See, to all appearance, our world seems to be going down the pan and evil and darkness seems to be pressing in. But is that the view that we should take and the Bible takes. Paul in Galatians talks about being delivered from the present age. Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He said, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. The present evil age is the age of sin that has a grip on people's lives, has a grip on institutions of our society, and is encouraged by Satan, who has some limited power. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But for those who trust in Jesus, a liberation has taken place. That liberation includes how we think and what we believe. Colossians 1.13 says this, God has delivered us from the dominion and darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. That's what has happened. We're going to come and look at But here it comes. I want to ask you what you are choosing to believe right now about your world. I want to ask you whether you agree that darkness is rising, evil is moving, Satan is active, demons are are moving. And the reason that I want to ask you that question is that I believe it will affect everything that you do right now. It will affect your very being because it changes the way that you think about God and the way that you think about truth. Let me try and explain some of this. It will affect your worship because when you worship, you don't believe that what you worship will work for you. That it becomes just singing We just sing for a while while we go to church. But that stuff really doesn't work. It it makes uh, your, your thoughts in regard to the gospel. So you can issue uh, leaflets, we can have front-edge conferences, we can have Rupert in my absence preaching and seeing people saved. But in the end, which I'm not bitter at the moment, I'm all right. We, I'll get over it, it's okay. We were blessed in Stafford. Not as blessed, but we were blessed. But it does affect the way, because actually you won't invite anybody because you believe they cannot be saved. 
You ultimately believe in your mind that God will not triumph over this person. It means that how you distribute a leaflet, what you put in the paper, you just believe, no, the gospel can't work. It believes your perspective on the world. You think the world is horrible. Even though it says the, the earth is the Lord's. Now it's horrible. Well, what about the night's no, horrible? So what you do is you live in, in a, a sort of closeted mentality. The street that you live in is horrible. The people that you work, they're horrible. The people that you go to shop, they're horrible. Everybody's horrible. And there's you. And you've got like a, a, a CTV camera outside just watching all those horrible people that go past your door. It's true. It is absolutely true. So what do you say? You, you long for something where the horrible people are not. Let me find somewhere. And eventually you find somewhere like Coid Poith. That must be where the, the non-horrible people are. Until you've lived there for three years and you think, there's some horrible people in Coid Poith. And you begin to think like, so everything becomes horrible. You look, at the, you look at your television and what your television does, it affects your demeanor. Now I have to admit, I am an obsessive news watcher. It is, it is my sin. I can watch it several times, just in case it might change. Um, but you see, what we do is, that what we have is, a, have you, and, you, and I've got relatives in my family that do this. They watch the news and they go, have you seen the mess that we are in? And it's almost as if the, the whole, it's almost as if the news comes over and they wear it like a, a, a big coat, you know, they so sort of, you know, Afghanistan, that's a coat. You know, that sort of stuff. Bombing over here, that's a coat. You know, they read the news on with that's a coat. And they're struggling through life, just like they're wearing it and wearing it and wearing it. And that's what happens. And every time they talk to you, they never talk to you about what God has done, what Jesus. Oh, it's the new. Have you seen? And you sort of go there and you sit there with them and you become depressed because all the things that they talk about you is all the things that are going wrong. And at some time, and you're bursting, I must get out of this room. And it's just the way they are. You, you meet people at work like it, don't they? That's, that's how they do it. You know, it's almost as if, if I can just creep into this room without them seeing, they will not talk to me about this. Now, I want to just say this to you. This is me, and I'm going to stake my life on this truth. This is me. This is Nigel Lloyd. This is, as my wife would say, this is not the most positive person in the world. Okay? But I'm going to stake my life on this truth. John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. This is what I'm going to believe. And this is where I'm going to believe in worship, in evangelism, at work, wherever I am, in the church, with my neighbours. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to choose to believe this. That Jesus shines. The gospel shines. The church shines. And darkness will, can overcome it. I'm going to choose to believe this. But why? How can we be sure of the light's triumph? Well, I want to give you three reasons and two triumphs. Are you there yet, Phil? Have you got one? Oh, magnificent. Okay, so here's the one. How do we know? The light is the life of the Son of God. Verse 4, John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
What is in darkness? No life. Death. What, how does death, life, this means that the light that shines in the darkness is the light of life. The life of the Son of God is the light of the world. His life. His life is penetrating. It's him. He is alive. What is this stuff about resurrection and ascension all about? He is alive. It's his life. He puts it into it. And the reason that the light will triumph over the darkness is that it is life and not death. It's a living light. And what does that mean? Well, if the life of the Son of God is the light that shines in the darkness, which is what verse says, I believe there's four things that we can say. That tricked you. You thought you got three. There's just four things. They're very brief. Firstly, the light of life has energy and power because the life of the Son has energy and power. He brings power to play on it. There's a power here that comes into it. It's his energy, his, his power. Think about the power that is at the fingertips of the Son of God. This is the, this is the Son of God. This is not just the things that you experience. Secondly, the light of life has purpose and motion. It's not static like a lamppost. Here it is, light, or, or, or a lighthouse, or, or whatever. It doesn't work like that. It plans, it moves, it shines here, it shines there. It's alive with life. I don't know if you've ever been like this. Uh, This is probably one for last week, which I'm not bitter about or angry or twisted or anything like that. But you can have people, can't you, and they are resistant and for some time and suddenly the light just, it's almost as if, and you say it, don't you? The light came on. What is that? How does that work? How is that? It's because the light is alive. It just shines. You can see that in, in all sorts of different things. You can see suddenly impossible situations. God breaks through. Our own history here in Wales was a history of darkness. And suddenly the light decided that it would come into it. That's how it works. It just shines. Suddenly it's alive. The whole thing is alive. Thirdly, the light of life grows and it expands. That's the way the life of the Son of God is. His life, Psalm uh, 36 verse 9, his life is the fountain of life. Do you love that phrase? Once the rays start coming out of this light, they extend further and further and further and further and you can't stop them. There's an extraordinary uh, situation and, which has been repeated time and time again, which you know, don't you? Because what happens is that so-and-so gets saved and they go and invite so-and-so and they bring their friend and they get saved and they bring their friend and so on. And it's almost as if the light just goes boom, 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 out. It, can't, it just can't stop. It sort of is the fountain of life. It's bursting out all over the place. It goes farther and farther I have to say that I am an old, first-generation, New Frontiers pastor. Uh, So is Dave Simpkins. He's older than me. It just shows how young I was in the beginning. (laughs) But David will remember this. I remember pastor's meetings in Terry Virgo's lounge. 
That's where we went on a Thursday. I didn't know David in those days. He probably thought that I was just one of those arrogant sort of young skinny guys a bit like you know like Sam looks with all the hair and the you know and all the stuff you know trousers down here sort of boxes up here trousers that's that's how I looked that's exactly how I look to Dave Simpkins now I look at the certain I'll say I'll look at Sam and go pull your trousers up man (laughs) what are you doing you know that's how Dave Simpkins viewed me but we were a group of people in Terry Virgo's lounge I never, ever thought that I would be a part of a movement that touched 40 nations with 700 churches. Never thought. When I met in his lounge, to be honest, I thought it was about Sussex. I thought that was it, going to all the world, Sussex. That was what I thought. We will plant churches in Sussex, we'll do some stuff. in That, that was what I, I thought. I never, ever thought this. Why did that happen? Because Terry Virgo's great. Sorry, Terry? No. Because the light is great and extends further and further and further. That's how it works. It just does. It just is balmy. I was listening to, at the Brighton Conference, um, some of the guys um, just talking from, from Africa and uh, just having a chat with some of them that I knew. And they came up, they said, oh, it's balmy in Africa. He said, we do not know how to cope with the churches that are asking us to come into New Frontiers. So I sort of said, oh, you know, is it one or two? And they would say, no, 30, 40, 50. It's the same in Russia. They, they are shooting pastors in Russia and the church is rising. It's just coming up like this. Well, we'll shoot you. Okay, now we'll plant 40 more. It's just like that. You think, why is that? Because the Russian guys are good? No, the light is penetrating further and further and further. You may kill the guy, but you will not stop the light. Fourth, the light produces offspring. 12, verse 36, John. Believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. So the first reason is that light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it and the light is living. The second is that it has energy and purposes and growth and reproduction. It's not static. It's not a spotlight. The, the light uh, that shines in the world today is the very light of the Son of God. To which someone might say, so what? Maybe the powers of darkness are just as strong as his life And that leads us to the second reason, and it is this. The life is the life of the creator of all things. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now the hymn is the same hymn uh, that is in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the point is this, the energetic purposeful, growing, reproductive life that shines in the darkness is none other than the one through whom all things were made. The life that shines in the light is the life of the Creator. Now we know that the powers of darkness are not as strong as this life and that this life... Sorry, sorry, just answer that as a question. How do we know that the powers of darkness are not as strong as... As this life, how do we know that we we don't you know we don't need to go out here and just sort of peep round the corner, lest our sort of a, a little demon might bite our bum? It says this: without him, what 
was not anything made that was made. They are subject to him because they were ultimately created by him. No created thing can be more powerful than its creator. Well, some might say, isn't the atom or nuclear bomb more powerful than the men that created it? Can't the atom or nuclear bomb destroy its maker? The answer is that there is an infinite difference between, on one hand, the making of a bomb out of materials that exist already and which are controlled by the laws uh, that are written, and on the other hand, creating out, um, something out of nothing, the very materials that the universe and the laws cannot control. Jesus can make something out of nothing. Evil can only make something out of something. Therefore, <laughs> the creator will always have the upper hand. He will triumph. And the powers of darkness know this. So if the powers of darkness know this, we need to know this. Remember in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28, there's the, the Gadarean demoniacs. That's a, love, that's a cell group, okay? It's, uh, they sort of meet just outside the church. Uh, and remember that Jesus is there and uh, going to deal with them. And uh, they cry out there. They say this, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Before the time. They know a time is set for their destruction and their, ever, and, uh, their everlasting consignment to hell. They will go there. And they know it. They know that light will triumph. They know that Jesus will triumph. So they are saying, what are you doing here? You know, surely I've got a little bit more time before you are here. They know. Now I want to suggest, Christians, if they know, we should know. Because what we are doing in our thinking is that we are lowering our thinking to less than the Gadarean demoniacs. No, that would be funny. Please don't think, you know, it'd be, if I come to you and said, hello, pleased to meet you, Gadarene demoniac, you know, bosh. You know, that's, but sometimes Christians, we, we are thinking less than the demons are thinking. Do you see that? Why are we lowering ourselves to the thinking less than demons? Look, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. Because the light is the light of the energetic, purposeful, growing reproduction. It's because it's life. Everything was made through him and angelic powers fall into his power. Thirdly, before the triumph bit, the light and the life is God. Verse 1, in the beginning of the, uh, was the word and the word was God and the, uh, sorry, was with God and the word was God. That leaves one last reason. <laughs> and that is this, he's God. He's God. How is God described in the Testament, the Old Testament? He is described as almighty. So here we are, we have this little problem over here, and we look and we think, well, how can God deal with that on my behalf? And you think of it and you think, no, he must be, what, some mighty. Because he can't be almighty because, God, you don't know what that is there. Have you seen that? Now, come on. He is almighty. 
And we need to... No, the Almighty's on my side. They're not the some mighty, the Almighty. The Almighty can deal with this. He can triumph over all. So what does all this mean then? It means he will triumph. This, is, this has got to be our blood. This has got to be our blood. Jesus will triumph over darkness and evil on the earth today and bring all his saving purposes to victory. All that he's purposed will happen. Nothing can stand in it. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 25. He, Christ, must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. He reigns. He reigns. Matthew 16, 18. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. They will not prevail. No, they will not prevail. Because you sort of do that, don't you? You sort of think, well, this looks an absolute disaster here. Okay? Am I going to believe the disaster or am I going to believe the Christ? (laughs) That's the choice. How am I going to pray about that right now? Lord, come on. Lord, you've said you will reign. You've said the gates of hell will not prevail against this. That's how you pray. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if it looks bad, you don't go, no. You didn't sort of, you know, hair out pulling and all that sort of stuff. You pray according to Scripture. Why? Because he intercedes day and night on your behalf in this way. How, well, how, and you say this thing, how can I know this is the will of the Lord? Because it says in Scripture. Jesus would, Lord, there's this mess over here. Thy will be done. No, this is the will. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Revelation 17, verse 14. The kings of the earth are arrayed in battle against Christ. But then it says, they will make war, so we can expect war on the Lamb. And here it comes. And the Lamb will conquer them. For he is who? Lord of lords and king of... Anything. So we, we need to expect a little bit of war, folks. Oh, this is a bit ropey and it's going a bit bumpy over here. Yes, that's right, because we will be, we're in a war. But here it comes. <laughs> the kings of the earth have no chance. He cannot be defeated. His cause will triumph, which means we will triumph. We will. It's coming our way, folks. And I want to breathe this air. I want to breathe that Christ is triumphant in his reign over the kings of the earth. That all developments today are steps towards that decisive triumph. It cannot be otherwise because he's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He reigns. The Lord reigns. Now here's a little theological ditty here the lord reigns which means that he's reigning now why do i want to introduce you a theological ditty because there is a problem here in regard to um i'm not going to mention the words a part of the church 
Because some part of the church think that the kingdom does not begin until his second coming. So what you are implying is that the Lord is not reigning now, but that he will reign. That basically we're, we're on a bit of a, a, a bruising until he returns and then God will come and you know, wipe away our tear and all that sort of stuff. Now, it's true that the Lord, when he comes again, there will be a thunderclap of great victory. Of course it is. Of course that's true. But that's not true. (laughs) Because his reign is underway. He's underway right now. He's ruling and reigning right now. That's what Colossians is all about. And we're part of it. We can win against darkness and evil because he reigns. If he doesn't reign, we can't. But because he reigns, we can. That's the way that it works. And the weapons that are aimed against us, the greatest weapon that Satan has, therefore demons and darkness, is the weapon of death. That's the greatest weapon that he has. We've seen that just in the things that we've read, in the things that have happened this year. Death. You think that's his weapon. What did Jesus do? Conquered death. What does he do with a 19-year-old girl that was tragically killed on a road just not far away from us? He says to her, today you will be in paradise with me. So what happens to that girl? To all intents and purposes, she was mangled and dead at the scene. So the the body looks defeated. And then Jesus says, no, you'll have a glorified body with me in heaven right now. See, even death could not keep her. Now, if that has been dealt with, there is nothing else that can come against us. Because the greatest weapon in death has been dealt and he has triumphed over it. And if that weapon has lost its power, Satan will be defeated. And by the way, mate, it's only a matter of time. (laughs) It's been set. So what does that mean in regard to us? It means that God is ordering the world for the good of the church. It means that this this is not our worst moment. This is our finest hour. This is, this is what we were born to do. The reign of Christ over all the earth and the rulers on the earth today means that Christ is ordering the world for the good of us. It means for our holiness, for our good, for, for our happiness, for, for, for the sake of his gospel. Where do I get that thing from? Uh, Ephesians 1.22 says this, God put all things under his such Christ's feet and has made him head over all things. What for? The church. The church. He reigns for the sake of the church. He is reigning so that he can invest in us. We are the expression of that investment. This is an awesome thought because it makes us think that we should utterly revolutionize the way that we look at the news. We say, no, this is an opportunity. What about when I read the paper? No, this is a way in here. 
What about our neighbours? No, that's I can get through uh, there. The, the answer for that is the gospel. What about this situation at work? No, he's the answer. Everything is depicted around us. If you watch the news and you watch situations, not with, if you like, Nigel's eyes sometimes, but with the eyes of faith, I believe that what God will do is that he will show you great strategies of how we're to overcome in these situations. I think sometimes we just need to look at these things in a completely different way. This is our greatest hour. This is, our, this is why we exist. All those things that are happening that you think are, are bad and awful, and they are happening so that we might have the opportunity to be able to go there and show them the light of the world. It's the other way around. We think, oh, no, that looks bad. And Jesus said, yeah, that looks bad because I want you to get in there with this because this is the answer. This is the answer. Jesus always is the answer. Well, the church is a mess. Jesus is the answer. Well, my neighbor's a mess. Jesus is the answer. All those sort of things is the, is the truth of it. It is our day of opportunity, not our day of depression, folks. You can see this. In Revelation 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, Grace and peace be from Jesus Christ, etc., etc., the ruler of the kings of the earth. In other words, John wants you to know that the authority of Christ over the rulers of the earth is designed to bring us grace and peace. What does that mean? It means sometimes that we need to see things in a completely different light, even internationally. So most of you will remember things like glasnost and perestroika. But Christians in the Soviet Union believed this was the will of God. That God was breaking through into their nation. Some of you will remember shifting power in South Africa in times of turmoil and difficulty and and hardship and Christians in South Africa had a view no this is the will of God this is our day of opportunity and when uh, there was shifting power in regard to the reversals in China again Christians in China said this this is a quote from them this was the wisdom and the love of God Now, I believe those perspectives from those Christians in those nations changed the way that we think in regard to God. They changed the way that that we believe. We can believe God for the greatest thing or the smallest thing. So I want us to be encouraged, strengthened, full of hope, bold, because it is turmoil and it is upheaval, But remember when you're out there, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Mr. Obama might think that he is, but he ain't. He just ain't. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He controls who becomes a king, pal, and who doesn't. (laughs) And we've seen that in our day, haven't we? Suddenly, one day, power, next day, God. Why is that? Jesus said, time's up. That's just what he did. He just put his finger on the button. That's enough. We'll see how this one reacts. Oh, he comes up. Oh, he's messing. the Gone. That's the way that he does it. He controls who becomes a king. 
He regulates what the kings of the earth do, sometimes holding them back from evil, sometimes interrupting their events so that he can bring about his purposes. His authority to claim people from his, for his own kingdom will extend right across people who even will say no to him in their country. How many times do you know of a nation that they say this? It was closed to God. And suddenly you hear through a little grapevine, you hear that there's, there's a church meeting here or there and it's growing and they're seeing people say, but the ruler says no to God. And God goes, huh? Come on. And we see that, you know, the kings think that they've got it. They haven't. It's his authority to, to bring his kingdom about into the nations of the earth. He will triumph. He will bring, he bring his saving purposes to victory. We know that. And Jesus will order his, uh, the world for the good of us. For the good of us. It, it is our day, folks. It is our day. We are not defeated we're not a broken army. We are the army of God. And we need to stand as the army of God. We are his bride, his chosen bride. It's time for us to have a bit more backbone to us and believe what he can do. Jesus is the light of the world and he's on our side. He's on our side. I, I, I had to play rugby at school. This is my final thing. Uh, we had one year football, one year rugby. And I had two. I was given the place of hooker, a hooker, which is nothing to do with the lady on the streets, but is, it's a position in a rugby thing. It's at the front row. And I was the, in my day, you had a little guy and two massive guys. One of them was a guy called John Sawbridge, that sort of stuff. When he put the arms over them like that, my little legs used to do that. And we used to go into the scrum together. And when, I, when we stood there, because we had, we had the two huge guys, big guys, that used to come up against us. We would play in the scrum like this. And the little guys on the other end would look at us and think, like this. And I used to think, these are my mates. Get down. And, and it was ever so funny because you do this thing, uh, anybody that plays rugby, is that you sort of wait for it, wait for it, and then you hit them with everything you've got, which is all right for me because I'm just connected. It was the weight of, of um, Malcolm Winfindale. That was right. Malcolm, I remembered it. Malcolm Winfindale and John Sawbridge. And when they went down, we could knock a scrum out, well, they could, in one go. We could plow it and that sort of stuff. And we would, uh, very rarely did we lose it. My job was to do this. <laughs> that was it. That was all I got to do. I'd got to kick the rugby ball behind it. And so they, 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 they didn't used to do that touch business and all that they do now. They used to go scrum down and you hit them. And we were gone. Oh, you know, we were treading on heads and all sorts of things in one great foot. And all I had to go was like that. And that's it. Do you know, in God, all we have to do is this. Why? Because we've got the big fella on our side. The big fella's on our side. We haven't got the squirty one. You know, the last one in the line of the four. Oh, no, don't have him. You know, that's... No, the big fella's on our side. The creator of heaven and earth is on our side. You know, 
You think you got something to say, mate? You should see my mate. It's true. And we need to think in those mentality. Because if we do, that's where we get grace and peace uh, from uh, Jesus Christ. So come on, guys. We're on the victory side. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Amen? Shall we triumph a bit?